during this series, I've been sharing stories that you all have submitted about the trees that are meaningful to you. The series is focusing on all the different trees in the Bible. The Bible says more about trees other than humans than any other living thing. So it's, it's remarkable how many times when you read scripture that you'll come across a tree. This story comes from Martha and Ray Parker. They're away from us traveling this weekend, but we're gracious to share the story. Dear Bob, we continue to be blessed through your sermons with the trees and scriptures. We think it would be a neat vacation Bible school theme. I copied these pages from one of my scrapbooks. It includes a story from the Caroline Press, the local county paper in Caroline County, Virginia, just up the road from us. Raising Christmas trees is a slow process at first. It can take up to 10 years for a white pine to grow into a mature tree that can be sold during the holidays, ready to be adorned with Christmas ornaments and lights. For one Christmas tree farmer in Caroline County, that would be Ray Parker, years ago now, Growing trees is just a hobby and a break from his full-time job. Ray Parker Jr. of Richmond started planting white pine seedlings in 1984 on two acres of his mother's back parcel of land in Sparta, Virginia, which is there in Caroline County. Ray said, the first year I planted 1,000 trees and 95% lived. The next year I planted 400 and 95% died. The Parkers now have about three acres of land ready and on the way that have been replanted, says the writer. And Ray says, I don't have any fancy tools, and I do all of the work myself. Ray decided to get into the Christmas tree business after a friend at church, Bland Franklin, bless his soul, mentioned it to him about raising trees. Fran and Bland used to raise those trees, too. There's quite a bit of work involved in growing trees, says Ray. Each spring, all the trees must be pruned and sprayed, and I cut all the grass in between myself. I never intended for it to be a money-making business, but it sure has paid off as a hobby. Ray and his mama share the money from the sales. Parkers at that time said they had seen an upward trend in the, the sales of popularity of other tree farms in the, in the area. Mostly they sold to friends and neighbors and groups that wanted to, to get some of them. He said the people in the city start buying them early, the first part of December, but country folk, well, they wait until about two weeks before Christmas. They also made a lot of sales on Christmas Eve some years, and though he says the money is an added bonus to the tree farm, Grace and Ray, mother and son, get pleasure from growing the trees together. I enjoy looking at them, Grace says. They are so pretty all year long. For Ray Parker, it was a break from his job at Traveler's Insurance here in Richmond. He said, some people enjoy hunting and golfing for relaxation, but I prefer to do this. My wife says, it's my therapy. Their daughter, Beth, 
happened to write me the same day that her mother wrote me, and neither knew it. And I got both of their notes with the stories the same day. I thought that was pretty cool. Listen to what Beth says about her daddy. For years and years, my dad grew Christmas trees at my grandmother's, and while I didn't love helping him plant the trees, it taught me so many life lessons and values just by watching my dad and the trees. He taught me patience, persistence, perseverance, and the importance of being family and being generous. One year, he gave a local Boy Scout group all the trees to sell that they could raise money. And that anywhere can be your mission field. Beth says, I am grateful for the chance to learn just by watching my dad and his trees. Blessings to the Parkers as they watch us via live stream. And thank God for their story and the other stories that you all have shared during this series on discovering God through the trees. Amen. I want to turn now to God's word. Isaiah is the book, a few verses, chapter 11, verse 1, and then chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And then in chapter 53, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that would desire him, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Born into slavery, George Washington Carver was the first African American to earn a Bachelor of Science degree. You probably know that he was an inventor and he was a uh, an avid agriculturalist, pioneering all sorts of technologies for agriculture, and farming, and commerce and beyond. He grew up with a great affection for nature, and he says this, reading about nature is fine, but if a person walks in the woods and listens carefully, he or she can learn more than what is in books for they speak the voice of God. The trees speak the voice of God to us, he says. Even a brief walk in the woods can remind us of our creator God, the beautiful foliage, the birds and animals resting on the branches, the fruit that we see, and the way that they provide food for us and help keep our land from erosion and all kinds of other things that trees do. God knew what God was doing when God created trees there in the garden and in all of the earth. But here's the question. 
Have you and I ever walked through the woods and admired a stump? We admire the trees, but how often had we looked, man, that's a great stump. That is a beautiful stump. I'm going to take some pictures and post those. We don't do that. I hope that today's message helps us to recognize that there is beauty in that which is often ordinary. Like Pastor Matthew said, that there is life in that compost and that it can be transformed into that which can give and encourage life. Today, we read about this stump in Scripture, and we're going to see that beauty emerges from it. Life-giving beauty emerges from it. Shortly after I started this sermon series in April, one of our longtime members, Liz Bass, who is a master gardener, came up to me, I think it was before the church council meeting, and she handed me a book, and she said, Bob, with the series you're doing, I thought you might be interested in this book. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees by a German forester named Peter Wolben. And he says that one day he was out walking in the forest that he manages, and he paused and saw what appeared to be a pattern of stones on the ground. And so he stopped. They were uh, a different color than he expected. And so he bent down and started looking at it. And there, there seemed to be a moss, and he scraped back some of the moss, and he saw green. That means chlorophyll. That's not something that a stone would normally be. And so he started to do a little bit more careful digging with a pen knife, pocket knife, and discovered that there was fresh living wood up underneath that moss. And then when he stepped back, he saw five of those, quote, stones, but they weren't stones at all. They were actually the remnant of an ancient tree in that forest. And where there is green, there is life, right? There is chlorophyll, there is life. And he, he said that what was or what appeared to be stones and then appeared to be a stump was actually alive. Perhaps the other trees around it still were feeding it nutrients so that it could sustain life. And I believe that is a picture that we see in this passage from Isaiah today, that out of this stump comes a, a shoot. And that is our family, the family of God, the family of David, through whom the Messiah emerges and gives us the opportunity to have life and have life not only abundant here, but in everlasting life. In that forest, that stump was still a viable, life-giving part of the ecosystem. It wasn't the picture of a grand oak or a tall poplar that Isaiah used to describe the Messiah who would come, but he rather uses a stump, and he's speaking to a deforested people, a people in his time and place that had given up hope. They wondered what the morrow would be, what would, what would come of all of this devastation as the Assyrians have come, and then later Isaiah prophesying to the Babylonian destruction that would completely devastate the city of, of Jerusalem and tear down the temple. 
a little backstory is helpful for us. Over and again, we read how God's people continued to obey and disobey, obey and disobey. The Bible says in Judges, Israel did forget God and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Instead of leaning on God and praising God, they would fall into these patterns of disobedience and worshiping. Um, often they would worship wood statues or golden statues, uh, create er, uh, uh, Sarah poles up on tops of hills that were used in, in pagan worship. And the Israelites fell into these patterns over and again. And, you know, they begged for kings. And sometimes the kings were faithful to God and sometimes the kings were not. And Isaiah is writing to four particular kings, uh, Uzziah, uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah over a period of years. Back and forth the kings went while their people lost more and more of their memory and discipline of being God's people, being with their God. And it's in the midst of these four kings of Judah in the 7th and 8th centuries before Jesus that the uh, prophet Isaiah sought to bring faithfulness and hope to the people who were among a people who were as if they were strangers in a foreign land. They were an oppressed people. I like that word, a deforested people, a people living in the wilderness. And in the midst of all of this, Isaiah gives hope. He gives words of hope, and he says, a righteous branch is going to emerge. A shoot will come out of this stump, and it will be rooted. And someday there will be a Messiah. Now, certainly there was thought that that Messiah would be a king who would finally come and be obedient to God. And then after many centuries, people were hoping for a Messiah king who would be a military-type king that would finally get the Romans off of their backs. No one would have anticipated a king that would come in the form of an infant baby who would ultimately give his life on the cool Roman cross, another tree that we're going to talk about next week, that they might be redeemed and given new life and transformed, that they could be truly the people God desired them to be. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah writes. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Not a grand oak, not a tall poplar, but a stump. And I will never look at a stump the same way when I go through the forest again, and I hope you won't either. Maybe you'll get down and scratch on the top of that stump to see if there might be life. You know what we do mostly when we see stumps? We call a stump grinder. Wilton, you, you are um, one who deals a lot with trees, and you take um, people's felled trees and cut it up into firewood and give it away, and um, others of, of you all do that too. So you know what it's like to see that stump. I remember we had a big tree that got hit by lightning in our yard where we used to live, a big oak tree, and the tree, after the lightning hit, it turned brown and it died. And they told us that we needed to have it removed. So they came out and took the tree out. And then what was left was the stump. And we had a stump grinder guy come out and ground it up and took all of it away. That's what we usually do when we see a stump. But I hope that we will pause and scratch on that and just think about this image in the Bible that Isaiah gives us that points us to the Messiah. 
In his book, Reforesting Faith, Matthew Sleeth describes this tree imagery as, quote, foolproof method of recognizing the good news of the Messiah. It's not what anybody would have expected. Turns it upside down, as we have said. Sleeth argues that by couching his predictions in tree terms, that Isaiah pointed out that trees would play a pertinent role in identifying the Messiah. The Messiah would come from the family tree of David, as David's father was Jesse. Isaiah provided unique details about the Messiah hundreds of years later that when Jesus came to earth, anyone looking for the Messiah would have seen. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel, God with us. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, as we just heard a minute ago. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds, we are what? We are healed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. The Messiah would heal the blind and heal the deaf. A man from the wilderness would announce his arrival, speaking of John the Baptist. On and on we could go. People who were looking for the Messiah in the time of Jesus wouldn't have to look far to see him. But it wasn't what they expected, was it? Even some of John the Baptist's own disciples struggled with this understanding of whether Jesus was a type of Messiah or whether the works that he was doing was some other work. Listen to what Matthew records in chapter 11 of his gospel in verses 1 through 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Do you hear that? Are you the one, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus made it very clear that the work that was being done through his power and through his disciples, was the authentic work of the one who was sent, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Isaiah makes the outrageous assertion that a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse and that the branch shall grow out of his roots. Perhaps you and I, I don't know about you, I can speak for myself, I prefer to see the shoots and the branches. Don't we like to see the good stuff? Don't we like to see the green growth in spring? Nothing wrong with that. But how often is it in church life that I look at some other church or I see what's going on in some other place or another program or I see the growth in our church and I see uh, and I look at the numbers and, oh, we had a good Sunday financially or we had some people join. How often am I focusing on the, the growth when I should be focusing on the roots? How often do I look at the fruit when I should be paying attention to the roots 
that are below that stump out of which emerges this new life. Matthew, Pastor Matthew talked about this so eloquently last Sunday in his sermon where Jesus said, I am the true vine, I am the vine and you are branches. Whoever remains in me and I in you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Without deep, strong roots, we will not produce shoots or fruits or all of the other things that are so beautiful to look at. So this is a time for us as we seek to emerge out of this pandemic to be focusing on spiritual depth and growth, and that is to continue to dig deeper down in the soil for stronger roots. In that passage from last Sunday, Matthew talked about how grapevines often prefer less water and it causes their root systems to work harder to dig deeper down into the ground to get to that nourishing water. And as a picture of what God desires for us, that we continue to be as trees planted by streams of living water, that we continue to do the work of cultivating spiritual practices in our lives to grow deeper root systems that are long-sustaining, that can help generations to come experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is what I see we need to be about doing. It's not easy, is it? It's hard work. Just like Ray Parker shared in his story, often planting trees is filled with adversity. The work of the gospel is, is not easy. But we must continue to be after that work of growing deep root systems. Roots, as one writer says, burrow down into the dark and build a firm foundation, a new source of nourishment for an old stump. I think that's what was happening in the life of that German forester as he saw those five, well, what he thought were stones in the forest. The roots were burrowing down and building a continual firm foundation, a new source of nourishment from perhaps others for an old stump. Church, may we not be wowed by the new growth and the green grass on the other side of the church street. You know, when you see somebody's really nice lawn, it's usually been fertilized with what nitrogen and some other things that help it to get nice and green. Or there's a septic tank in the yard, right? If you live out in the country and don't have city sewerage and water, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's that green spot. And beware. Let us not pay attention to those things. But let us be mindful of growing deep roots where God has planted us. And we will bloom where we are planted. If you look back at the scripture, the second verse of chapter 11 tells us not only will the spirit of the Lord, this is the ruach, the spirit of the Lord in the Hebrew that was hovering over the chaos of the creation. This spirit would rest on the Messiah we know as Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding in whom we trust 
the spirit of counsel and of power, the one who gives us reason and authority, and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. We will delight in the fear of the Lord. This Messiah, this Jesus, gives us a hopeful vision for a brighter day to come and strength to live each day. Just like the words in great is thy faithfulness. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I'd like to read from you a couple of verses in Romans chapter 15. And may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that as Christ Jesus said, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his peoples. Rejoice. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, Paul quoting, the root of Jesse will spring up. The one who will arise and rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will have hope. And he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we have two powerful symbols, the bread and the cup. And I invite you now as we turn to this time of the Lord's table to take the elements that you've received. And in just a moment, I'll invite you to uh, take the bread and take the cup. After worship, you can take your uh, materials and just deposit those at, uh, at the doors.